So Genesis chapter 31. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. For the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Pat and Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole his father's, her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban and the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to, came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban over, overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pinched, pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do your harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take my, your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have done that is yours, what I have that is yours, and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out to Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all around the tent but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched but did not find the household gods. 
Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods what you have found, what have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before your kinsmen and my kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams or your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, by day, the heat, by day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters. Children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. And I will be a wit- and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. They took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the, she- by the heap. Laban called it Jeger Sahadutha. But Jacob called it Gilead. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me. Therefore he named it Gilead and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watched between you and me. We are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see God as a witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set before you and me. This, is, this heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanim. We think about the state of our country today, and uh, if, it was only, if only it was terrorism that was the problem we were facing as a country. You know, I think about September 11, 2001, over 15 years ago. It's hard to believe it was that long ago. But you think about that event. It was the worst one of the worst tragedies in American history, the worst terrorist attack on American soil. And you think about that event and all the bad things that happened because of that event. But you remember the time after that period. And after that period, something interesting happened. It seemed like everybody in the whole country was unified together. People who hadn't talked to one another in years started talking to one another. The churches were flooded. People were just strike up conversations with people on the bus or as they were walking. Because everyone was kind of in it together. We were all Americans. We were all unified. We were unified to bring those who did this to justice. And we were unified to help those who were the victims of this awful catastrophe. But now here we are, fifteen years, over 15 years later, and we're still facing the problem of terrorism, but we're also facing some other problems some problems within our country. 
we live in very tumultuous and very conflicted times. We live in times of protests, times of unrest. We live in times of racial tension. As just a few years ago, there was uh, videos that came out about white police officers mistreating black, uh, black citizens. And, it, and it, rightly so, there was outrage because of these things. There's unrest because of immigration bills. There's unrest because of, uh, and there's marches related to uh, the right of the unborn. Thousands and thousands of people are protesting, and there's very much unrest. And no matter what you think about our president, you have to admit that he's unconventional, and we don't really know what happens, whether you like him or not. We really don't know what's going to happen. And many Americans, when they think about the state of our country, they feel uncertain, conflicted. Like we don't know what is going to happen. And the question we're going to look at today, in the midst of these difficult and uncertain times, how can we find hope? How can we find peace? How can we find confidence to go forward as believers in Christ? And I think this story, the story of Laban and Jacob provides us a very helpful tool in understanding how we can apply that truth to our lives. And so as we look at this story, we'll try to answer that question, how can we have peace and confidence in the midst of uncertain and conflicted times? So Jacob comes to the realization that Laban is no longer looking uh, with favor upon him. And so he once again realizes that he's going to have to leave and go back to his homeland. His Laban's sons say that, that Jacob has stolen the wealth from his father. And then the Lord speaks to Jacob and he says, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred and I will be with you. He says, Return to the land of your fathers to the land of your kindred. It's very similar to another call that God gave uh, back just a few chapters in Genesis chapter 12. God gave a similar call to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, where he told him to leave the land and go to the land that I will tell you. And what's interesting about this is that both of these characters, Jacob and Abraham, were living in roughly the same area. And God called both of them to go to the land of Canaan. For Abraham, he was called to leave his homeland. And for Jacob, it was called, he was called to go back to his homeland. Now, we can understand why Abraham would have trouble leaving his family, his homeland, the people he grew up with. We can understand that. It would be a difficult thing, especially when God didn't tell him exactly where to go and how long he would be there. So he struggles with that, but eventually he follows God's will to do that. But then Jacob is also called, but he's called to return to his homeland. And this would have been equally different, difficult. Because remember, Jacob didn't leave his family on the best of terms. Remember, he stole uh, his brother Esau's blessing, and he deceived his father Isaac, pretended like he was Esau. And so then Esau is so angry that he's about to ki- he wants to kill Jacob, and so Jacob has to flee to Haran to stay with Laban. And so he doesn't leave his family on the best of terms, and when he thinks about returning to his family, it probably filled him with a lot of fear. In addition, his father was quite old at this time, and so he probably uh, maybe thought that his father was dead. 
And so he's potentially returning to the grave of his father and potentially facing the wrath of his brother. So it would be a difficult calling, a difficult task to go back to his homeland and back to his family to face these difficulties. And I think it's interesting that these are kind of the struggles that we often experience in life. On the one hand, we experience struggles of loss like Abraham, the loss of a loved one or a relationship that is lost. And we struggle with that loss. And other times we face a conflict like Jacob. That maybe we experience so much conflict in a relationship with a family member that maybe it's best just we feel like to avoid that situation altogether. And we struggle like Jacob with that conflict. But Jacob obeys God's call. And at first he had tried the diplomatic route. He went to Laban and he said, I'm, I'm ready to go. I want to go back to my homeland. And remember what happened. Laban tried to get him to stay and he offered him flocks to stay. He says, what, what can I do to get you to stay here? This time, Jacob takes a more covert route. He knows Laban's not going to just let him go. And so he goes to his wives, Rachel and Leah, and he says to him, I've served your father all this time, and I've served him faithfully, and yet he keeps changing his wages on me. He keeps being dishonest towards me. And for the first time, it seems, in their lives, Rachel and Leah, remember they were siblings and they had the same husband, and they were always fighting. For, for the first time in their lives, it seems like they agree on something. They agree that they have to leave. And he says, they say, our father has defrauded us also. He sold us as slaves. And we don't know exactly the arrangement that they're talking about here, but they feel like they have been defrauded by their father also. And so they say, Whatever the Lord has told you to do, let's do that. And then Jacob flees stealthily. Laban is out shearing the sheep. And while he's doing that, while he's out shearing the sheep, which would have taken a long, amount of, a long period of time, Jacob gathers his wives and his children and all of his flocks together and begins the journey. It would have been a more difficult journey than uh, some other jersey, journeys, it when he came to Haran and he left his homeland, he was just by himself. So he could just travel in the night, just keep going. But now he had a lot of property, a lot of family. So it would have taken him time to pack everybody up and get everybody ready to go. And so he takes off and he passed through the Euphrates, it says, toward the hill country of Gilead. This would have been a kind of different roundabout way to go it's different than the way he came to Haran. And he probably does this to throw Laban off, to kind of trick him. But somehow Laban finds out that they're gone. And when he finds out that they're gone, he races as fast as he can to try to catch up to them. And remember, he can travel a lot faster than, than Jacob can because Jacob has all these flocks and his family and children, and so they have to go a lot slower. And so Laban is about to catch up to Jacob, and then God appears to him. And God tells him, don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. What he's probably saying here is, don't say anything that would, don't try to threaten Jacob, and don't try to give him anything to stay. Don't try to use your force to keep him to stay, and don't try to offer him benefits to, say, to stay. Let Jacob go. Let him go back to this, his homeland because that's what I'm calling him to do. 
And so Laban, it seems to, that he listens to God, but not without giving Jacob a very hard time. He comes to Jacob and says, Why did you do this? Why did you take my daughters by the sword? I mean, really by the sword? You think Jacob was, you know, chasing them out with a sword? I mean, they wanted to go. Laban had defrauded them. And then Laban says, if you would have just told me, I would have, had, uh, I would have sent you off with lyre and tambourine. I, w- I would have thrown a party for you. I just wanted to send you off. I just wanted to wish you well. And we know that's not true. We know that Laban would have probably tried to prevent them from going. He was only interested in his own interests, as we see from the other stories we look at. But Laban says this, and then he says, I have power to, it's in my power to harm you, but God has told me not to. God has told me not to stop you, so my hands are kind of tied. But let me ask you this. Why did you take my household gods? Why did you take my gods? Laban says, the person who took your gods will be put to death. Jacob doesn't know that Rachel took the household gods. We don't know why Rachel took the household gods. Maybe he, she wanted to kind of procure the favor of that God. Maybe it was kind of like a good luck charm. Maybe she wanted to pry that God out of her father's hands because he had been holding on to it. Maybe it was just the value of the God itself, you know, if it was made out of gold or silver or whatnot. We don't know exactly why she stole the God, but she did. The gods, but she did. And so... Laban is searching for these gods. And it says in the text that he was kind of, it almost signifies kind of picking things up. That he's going through the house and, and you know, touching everything, looking all through the house or the tents for these gods. And the narrator kind of builds this up. He goes for, Laban goes first to Jacob's tent and then to Leah's tent. Doesn't find it. And then he goes to Rachel's tent. He's searching all through the room and Rachel's taken the gods and put them in, a, in the uh, saddle of a camel, and she's sitting on top of them. And she says, "Father, I can't rise because it's because basically it's my time of month." And so she's sitting on these gods, and then Laban in turn doesn't find them. But this kind of story about the gods is kind of interesting. It's kind of a minor point in the story. But it's quite interesting because Laban is so consumed with getting these gods back. But really, how well were these gods really working for him? I mean, throughout the story, we see the victory of Yahweh, Jacob's God, over these gods. We see that when Jacob wants to leave, Laban says, Don't leave. I see that God has favor upon you and God has favor upon me because of you. And so what can I do to have you stay here? It was Yahweh, it was Jacob's God who had given him favor. And then after that, when they go, go into this agreement that we looked at last week, how Jacob would get the spotted and speckled sheep and the goats, when they get into that arrangement, God increases Jacob's flock and Laban's flock decreases because the spock, speckled and spotted sheep and goats are born. And so we see throughout this whole story that Really, Laban's gods have no power. That the true God, Yahweh, Jacob's God, does have power. 
We see also that Jacob, Laban's gods are powerless to stop themselves even from being stolen. They can't even guard themselves. And ironically, if Rachel is telling the truth, not to be graphic, but these gods are hidden underneath menstrual cloths. The ultimate uncleanness in the ancient world. And showing that they are completely powerless. They are completely impotent. Jacob, Laban's gods are nothing. Yet Laban holds on to them tightly. And he searches for them. He chases for them. And we think about Laban searching after these little figurines that he thought had power. And we think it's silly. And it was silly. But sometimes we do things that are remarkably similar. We sometimes hold on to things that are hurting us or things that we think will bring us joy that only God can really bring us. We look to idols, to other gods, to give us what only the true God can give us. We might look to things like our career. We look to those things to give us joy that only God can give us. We might look to a substance, whether that's drugs or alcohol or food. We might look to money. We might even look to good things like family to give us the joy and the satisfaction that only God can give. And so we're searching to fill that hole in our hearts and ultimately we'll never find what we're looking for. Laban never finds what he's looking for even though he searches for it. Because his gods are powerless. They're impotent. So Laban never finds his household gods. And then Jacob is, he is just beside, beside himself. He is livid. And basically he says, I've served you all this time. I've been out in the heat. I've been out in the cold. I've done everything in my power to make sure your flocks succeed. And this is how you're going to treat me. And he says, if it wasn't for God, I would have been sent away empty-handed. He says, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and he rebuked you last night. The language in this passage is remarkably similar to the language that we see in the next book of the Bible in Exodus to describe the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. In the exodus, God saw the affliction of his people just like God saw the affliction of Jacob. And he did not allow them to go away empty-handed in the same way that Rachel stole his, her father's household gods and Jacob acquired much wealth, the Israelites plundered the Egyptians and left Egypt very wealthy. And we see this pattern throughout Scripture that God cares for those who are oppressed. He cares for those who are afflicted. He cares for those who are mistreated. And then we see Laban's delusion, it seems. Jacob has described how he's served uh, Laban all these years. And then Laban said, oh, these children, they're mine. These flocks, they're mine. All that you see, it's all mine. I mean, how true is that? It, it's not true at all. Jacob has served Laban all these years. He says 14 years for his daughters, 6 years for the flocks. It all belonged to Jacob. None of it belonged to Laban anymore, but he's under this delusion. He feels entitled but he can't do anything because God has spoken and his hands are tied. And then he comes up with an idea. He says, let's, let's make a covenant. 
And this covenant that he makes is kind of silly too because he's the one who kept breaking the agreements. And he's the one who defrauded his daughters. And he says, okay, let's make this covenant. Uh, And the first covenant is that you would not oppress my daughters and take other wives. Not something that he really needed to worry about. A kind of a sham covenant. And then the next one he says that you would not cross over to invade me and I will not cross over to invade you. This, this might have been more realistic that maybe he was afraid that Jacob would gain wealth and gain power and then he would come back and exact revenge upon him. But he makes these covenants with Jacob and Jacob just goes along with it. And it says that with these covenants, two witnesses were set up, one pillar of stone and then kind of a heap of stone. And these might have indicated the separate gods as being witnesses. That Laban, on the one hand, had multitude of gods, a heap of stones. And Jacob had the one true God. So they make the covenant. Laban sends them off, kisses his daughters, and the episode comes to a close. And so, now that Laban is behind them, Jacob is allowed to go free. But his biggest challenge is ahead of him. Now he has to go home and face Esau, who last we knew has intentions to kill him. And especially if his father, if he, he, does, he may not know if his father is alive. And if his father was dead, his brother might not have any reason not to murder him. So Jacob is going along, about to face the biggest challenge in his life. And it says in the text, in chapter 32, verse 1, as Jacob went, on, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanim. The angels of God appeared to him. We don't know why he says, calls it two camps, but it appears like God brought these angels to him to encourage him, to keep him on the right course to show him that he is still with him, that he is still going to fulfill his promises through him. See, throughout this whole story, God makes this promise to Jacob. This promise that would override everything that happens to Jacob. And this promise is in uh, chapter 28, verse 15, where God makes a covenant with Jacob and he makes the promise, I will be with you. I am with you and I will be with you. We see before Jacob flees, before he leaves Laban, God appears to him and he repeats the same thing to him. He says, go to the land of your kindred and I will be with you. When Jacob is uh, telling, trying to convince Rachel and Leah to go, Jacob says, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my fathers has been with me. In verse 9 of chapter 31, Jacob says, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Then in verse 42, when Jacob is talking to Laban and kind of letting him have it, saying, I've served you for all these years. He says, if the Lord had not been on my side, you would have sent me away empty-handed. And then finally in chapter 32, verse 1, God encourages Jacob and shows him once again, I am with you. 
I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to be with you through everything that you might face. And this promise, it kind of permeates the whole story, the whole Jacob narrative, that this one promise changes everything for Jacob. The promise, I am with you. And when we started, we asked ourselves a question, how do we have peace and confidence in the midst of a difficult and uncertain world? And I think the truth for Jacob is the same thing, the truth for us. Jacob could have confidence because God was with him. And we as believers in Jesus can have confidence and peace in the midst of difficult and uncertain times because God is with us. Because God is with us. See, Jesus makes a promise to his disciples in Matthew 28. It's remarkably similar to the promise that he made to Jacob. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Those of us who are believers in Jesus, we don't walk through life alone. That every step of the way, God is with us. That as we carry out our lives, as we carry out the mission that God has for us, He's promised that He's going to be with us every step of the way. That He'll never leave us and He'll never forsake us. And that changes everything for us. That means that we can have peace and we can have confidence no matter what is happening in this world. No matter what people say, no matter who our president is, we can have peace because God is with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never let us down. Martin Luther King Jr. was one of the greatest civil rights leaders in American history. But what some people forget is that he was a civil rights activist second and he was a Christian first. And he endured a lot in his life. He endured scorn and vilification, beatings, imprisonment, death threats, bombing, and eventually he was assassinated for his work. But he felt a strong call upon his life. At the age of only 26, he became the leader of the um, civil rights movement in Montgomery, Alabama. He was consistently threatened by the Ku Klux Klan. He was harassed by police officers. One time he was uh, driving along and he was five miles over the speed limit, so they pulled him over and they threw him in jail for five miles over the speed limit. Then after he was released from jail, the night after he was released from jail, he got a phone call. It was a man with a really menacing voice on the other line. He called him a derogatory name. He says, we're tired of you. We're tired of you and your mess now. And if you aren't out of this town in three days, we're going to blow your brains out and blow up your house. Now we think about Martin Luther King Jr. and we think about him as a historical figure and a kind of the courage and strength that he has. But he was also a human being. And if you got a message like that on your telephone at your house, you would probably be terrified, and he was. And he's sitting there at his kitchen table with his, looking at his wife, his young daughter, and thinking about this threat, and he's asking him this question, himself the question, how can I go on? He describes that experience. And he says, and I sat at that table 
thinking about that little girl and thinking about the fact that she could be taken away from me at any minute. And I started thinking about a dedicated, devoted, and loyal wife who was over there and asleep. And I got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. I was weak. And I discovered then that religion had to become real to me. And I had to know God for myself. And I bowed down over that cup of coffee. I will never forget it. I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause we represent is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. He says, and it seemed to me at that moment that I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. I heard the voice of Jesus staying still to fight on. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. One promise for Martin Luther changed the course of our country. The promise, I'll be with you. Lo, I am with you always. That same promise can be the difference in our lives today. In the midst of difficult and uncertain times, we can have confidence and hope because God has promised us as believers that God will be with us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, we thank you that we don't have to walk through life alone. That no matter what is happening around us, in our government, in our personal lives, God, we're thankful that you're with us. That you'll fulfill your purposes through us. We thank you that you're not caught off guard by the things that we face in life. That you know what's going to happen and you have a plan through it that you're working all things for good for those who love him. God, we just thank you for that. God, we pray that you'd be with those who are struggling today. God, we pray that you'd be with those who are struggling with family difficulties, with loss, with anxiety. No matter what we're facing today, God, I pray that you'd just give us encouragement today. The encouragement that can only be found in your presence, and the knowledge that you're with us and that you'll never leave us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.